Some might say skill, I mean, the ability to perform under pressure, the, the ability to, to just take a team on your back and just will your way to victory. Now, those things might be, might be things that might be desirable in a, in a teammate. There might be someone that perhaps those traits make someone a, a star or a, a superstar of some kind, but those things do not make someone a good teammate. Just a few weeks back, there was a a baseball game between the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays. The game was tied in the sixth inning with one out and a runner on third base. The batter hit a ball into the air into left field, directly to the left fielder. And yet, it was not the left fielder who caught the ball, even though he was perfectly positioned to do so. It was the center fielder that ran over and jumped in front of him and caught the ball. If you're not familiar with the rules of the game of baseball, with the the runner being on third base, the rule is is that before the runner can advance and try to score, he has to wait until the ball is touched by one of the fielders if it is hit into the air. And so he was waiting for that ball to come down before he broke for home. And so the center fielder, when he came running over to, to catch that ball or really to steal the ball away from the left fielder, in his mind he was thinking, I can throw that runner out at home plate. And so he ran over and he cut off the left fielder, he caught that ball, and he fired to home plate. But the throw was both late and offline, and the runner scored. The center fielder and the left fielder were both visibly frustrated by the situation. They, the runner had scored, and after the game, the left fielder had to give an explanation for why it was that he abandoned his position all the way over in center field and came charging over to left field to steal the ball away from the left fielder, despite the fact the left fielder was perfectly positioned, and he was even positioning himself to carry his momentum towards the plate to make an accurate throw home. And yet the left fielder came over, cut off the center fielder, and his momentum carried him in this roundabout pattern to make it a more difficult throw to the plate. He had to give an explanation for why he did what he did. And this is what he said after the game. He said, I'm in a unique position with what my defensive skill set is. And I'll never shy away from that. I believe I'm the best defensive center fielder in the game. Sure, if any other center fielder was out there, it might not be the right play, but, but I could have made that play. And so he was convinced of that, and in that interview, he all but blamed the other player for getting in his way from making the play, despite the fact that it was the left fielder that would have been in a better position. Now, the interesting reality about all this is that center fielder, in reality, he actually is one of the better defensive center fielders in the game. But is he a good teammate? I would suggest to you that he is not. That he, what was on display in that game was not the characteristics of a good teammate, but rather someone who is selfish and proud. Because good teammates, they're not selfish. They're not braggadocious. But rather they are humble. They seek to encourage others. They know their place on the team and they make the rest of the team around them better. And allow the other players who are in a better position to make the plays to simply make the plays. 
Well, God's church, it is not a professional sports league or, or team, but the same character traits that make for excellent teammates in a sporting match are some of the same traits that make for good partners in ministry. And Paul is going to identify a few things as, as we get into our text this morning, a few things that help us identify, helps us answer the question, what are the traits that make a church desirable? If we had a desirable church, a church that is, is something to be sought after, what are, would be the traits that make that church desirable? Today we're going to see that it is a church whose members partner in the gospel, they are being grown by God, and they stand with others through hard times. Before we get into our text, let's just bow for a word of prayer this morning. God, we are very grateful for all that you've done for us, Lord. We are grateful for this text that you have given to us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, I do pray that you would just guide me as I speak today, that I would speak accurately and truthfully from your word. I pray that we would all grow as a result of our time here together today. Stretch us, strengthen us, encourage us, Lord. And I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts today. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read our text this morning, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul begins this, this section, as he begins this letter, he, he's writing to thank the Philippians, or he's writing to, to, to let them know that he thanks God for the Philippians. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about last week as we gave the overview of the book, he, Paul was writing to encourage the Philippians and to thank them for their partnership in ministry. One of the ways that they had done that was through sending a, a gift to Paul as he was in prison. They were supporting him financially through his time of ministry and imprisonment. And he's writing them, writing them to encourage them, writing them to say, yes, I, I thank God for you. As we work through this passage, we're going to see how each verse in this points to why it is that Paul thanks God for the Philippians. But before we see that, notice, notice the frequency and the time when he thanks God for the Philippians. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, he says. And in all of my remembrance, every time I remember you, I am thanking God. And then verse 2, he says, always, always in every prayer of mine, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Paul, this is a very emphatic statement from the Apostle Paul. Is he's kind of stacking terms that, that are emphasize the point of the frequency and the intensity of the prayers. 
I always, in all my remembrance of you, I'm always thanking God for you all, making my prayer with joy. He makes his prayer with joy. The Apostle Paul is a man of prayer. He speaks frequently throughout many of his letters about how he is always praying for the church that he writes to. He's often detailing specifically what it is that he is praying for that particular church. And and next week when we look at uh, verses 9 through 11, we'll see a particular prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. But here he identifies just the fact that he thanks God for the Philippians. He's grateful for them. And every time he remembers them, any time that, that God brings the Philippians to his memory in, while he is praying, he thanks God for them every time. I don't know if you've had the, the blessing and the joy of, of having people in your life that whenever God brings them to your mind, it's just, it's just happy thoughts, right? They're just, just memories of, of joy and thankfulness. God, thank you so much for bringing these individuals into my life. I know I've had several individuals of that nature in my life. I'm so very grateful that, that God has brought them into my life. Sometimes there are times, though, when people do come in and and out of our lives and there's really nothing special there. And sometimes maybe it's just like, okay, they've come in into my life and they've gone out of my life and and the remembrance of them is just like, well, you know what, Eh, good riddance. I'm glad that they're no longer a part of my life. That is quite okay. But that's not the attitude that Paul had, not for the Philippians. Sometimes there are special people that come into our lives and And the memories that we have of them, it brings nothing but joy and gratitude. And that was the case with the Philippians to Paul. Anytime he thought of them, whenever he was praying and and God brought the Philippians to mind, he always took the time to pray for them and to thank God for them every time. Notice he says he makes the prayer with joy. He says, always in, in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. He does so with, with joy, with, with just a, a happiness in his heart, a, a joy in the midst of that. Because, and as he's going to explain why it is that, that he has that prayer for them in, in the following verses. Down in verse 8, we're going to see that Paul also has this great love for the Philippians. He says, how God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a special love that is within the heart of Paul. He's, he has this affection for the Philippians. So he's, he's joyful about their, these memories that he has for the Philippians, and he, he loves them dearly. Well, what was it about these Philippians? Why were what qualities did they have that just endeared them so much to to Paul? Why did he care so much for them? What made them so attractive to him? Well, this joy and this love that he feels it did not come out of nowhere, and in the verses in between this, in between verses four and eight. Paul lays out several reasons why he is grateful for them. Several reasons why the the memory of them brings joy to his heart. And why he has such affection for the Philippians. The first reason he says, I thank God because of your gospel partnership. 
because of your gospel partnership. Verse 5, he says, because, he says, I, I always thank God, I make my prayer with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is, is an interesting word. It, in other places throughout the New Testament, it is translated as fellowship. It, it speaks of, a, of an idea of, of two individuals walking side by side with one another. They're, they're working alongside of one another. You know, that, that fellowship, I always kind of think of it as, you've got two fellows and they're in the same ship. Right? They're, they're working alongside each other towards a, a common goal, a, a common end, and they're, just, they're fellowshipping with one another. It can carry the idea of, of partnership and participation alongside one another. And Paul says, I thank God for you because of your partnership in the gospel. And we might ask, how did they participate in the gospel? What was their partnership like? Well, number one, they, they believed the gospel. So they had fellowship in the gospel simply from the fact that, that they were fellow believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings them together simply from that alone. But there is likely more in, in Paul's view here because as, as we see throughout the rest of the letter, the, the investment that the Philippians had in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul likely has in view their, their financial aid to the Philippians as they sent a gift that Paul is going to reference later on and in, in, in chapter 4. They were participating in the gospel by supporting him through his ministry and even supporting him, even while he is in prison for the sake of the gospel. This was one of the main reasons Paul wrote to the church, to thank them for their financial support. But notice that Paul, when he identifies this, he doesn't identify their support simply as being of, of him as an individual. He says your partnership in the gospel. They were partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just in, in Paul as an individual and in his ministry, but rather in what that ministry was seeking to bring forward. The advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I am grateful that you are participants in the gospel through your financial support. But not only that, the Philippians were also faithful to proclaim the gospel themselves. Later on in the letter, Paul has identified this church as being a church that is suffering for the gospel. They're suffering on account of their proclamation. They're not suffering because they were simply keeping the gospel to themselves, that, that they were just happy to keep to themselves, and, well, we've got our church, and, and we have our group here together, and, you know, that's just okay. We, we have our group, and that's all, and so they're just kind of keeping to themselves. No, they were, they were active in gospel proclamation. They were faithful to bring the good news to others around them. They were seeking to win others for the cause of Christ, to advance the gospel there in Philippi. And as a result, they were suffering for that gospel. They were suffering because of their proclamation. So when Paul says that they are partners in the gospel, they are participating in the gospel. Yeah, he's talking about their, their contribution to his own ministry. But he also sees how they are active where they are. They're active in Philippi, proclaiming the gospel of Christ where they are. And as a result, they're suffering for that. 
Paul says, yeah, we're partners. We have the same goal in view. We have the same end in mind. That others might hear of the gospel of Christ. That they might believe and might follow after Him. So he says, I thank my God for you. I I have joy for you when I think of you in my memories and in my prayers because I know that you and I, we're like-minded. We're on the same page when it comes to the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. Fellowshipping together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice it also says that they were engaged in the gospel ministry from day one. It says you were because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This wasn't just something that they were occasionally engaged in, but, but rather they were continually had this, this focus, continually had this mindset that, that we are to be a people of gospel ministry. They never wavered. From the first day that they received the gospel from the ministry of Paul when he was in Philippi until the moment when Paul was writing this letter, they were engaged in gospel partnership. I want us to think about what this this cost the Philippians for a moment. This wasn't something that that they were just engaged in and, you know, it just was a a fact of life for them. But but it cost them something dearly. It cost them three things in particular. It, It cost them monetarily as they sacrificially gave to the ministry of Paul for the advancement of the gospel. It cost them personal comfort. Their lives were turned upside down. They were being persecuted by the the people in the surrounding country, the the people of Philippi. It cost them personal comfort. There was no returning to the status quo because of their engagement in gospel ministry. And as a result, it cost them personal safety. Paul himself was in jail when he was writing this letter and several of the Philippians, as we've noted, and we will continue to see, they were suffering for the cause of Christ. But they had counted the cost and they had determined that what they were doing was worth it for the sake of the gospel. It was worth it for the sake of the gospel. Here in America, we have not been asked to suffer greatly, relatively speaking, for the sake of the gospel. We have had tremendous freedoms here in America, but there are numerous places throughout the world where following after Jesus Christ is incredibly costly. Many places where believers are persecuted and the threat of death are called to turn away from Christ but they remain faithful and true. Paul has identified the Philippians as a suffering church and as a church that has suffered greatly and yet they have continued on and they are fellowshipping in the gospel. They counted it worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Christ. So what is it that makes a a church attractive? Why why did Paul have this, this love and joy for the Philippians? Well, they were invested in gospel advancement. They wanted to see the gospel move forward, even at great personal cost. So Paul thanks God for the Philippians for that reason. Secondly, Paul is thankful because 
he identifies that God is still at work in the life of the Philippians. Look with me at verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am reading from the ESV, and it has that translation that I am sure of this. The, the NASB translate this as, I am confident of this. The King James says, being confident. It is a, in the Greek, it is a participle of cause. We could translate it as, because I am confident. I am praying for you. I am, I am thankful for you. I have joy in my heart because of you. Because I am confident. Because I am confident of a particular reality. That word that, that communicates confidence, it speaks, uh, it's in the, in the perfect tense. It speaks of an action that was completed in the past that has results felt in the present. So we could say that, that Paul has been persuaded in the past and therefore is convinced now. I am confident. I am sure. I have been persuaded and I am convinced of this particular reality. What is it that he is convinced of? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says that he sees the sacrifice that the Philippians endured. The things that they were enduring for the sake of the gospel. And it brings him joy. It, bring, it warms his heart because he takes it as, as proof that God is at work within their hearts. He sees them and, and he, he identifies that, that God, who the one who began a good work in you, is going to continue to bring that to completion. He's going to work that out. He's going to bring it to an end. The one who began a good work, of course, that is the Lord. It is God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one who is at work. Later in the same letter, Paul is going to write that, that it is God who works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So God is at work. We praise God for that. I'm so grateful that God is at work, are you? I'm so grateful that, that God is working even in, in my life. God's not finished with me because I know I have, I have so much further to go. God identi- Paul identifies within the the Philippian church, he says, yeah, yeah, I see you. I see you in your partnership in the gospel, and I am convinced. I see the things that are going on, and, and I am convinced that within your heart, God has done something amazing in your life. God has begun a, a good work. Notice he says it's good. This is a, a good work. This isn't just some, you know, just a work, and it's just okay. No, this is a good thing. The things that God is doing in your life, the things that He is bringing you through, these are, are good things. God is working these things together. They are good things in your life. He says, I've seen that God has begun this good work in you. And he's not done. He's not finished. Where you are today is not where you will be when God is done with you. And we praise God for that. Praise God, I'm not where I once was, and praise God, I'm not going to be where I am today. One day, God is going to continue and finish His work within me. Paul identifies that within the Philippians, that 
the one who began that good work, will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the, the final judgment. When we are given our glorified bodies, when, when Jesus Christ places all enemies under His feet, when He shall reign forever and ever, His work will be complete in us and we shall rejoice and praise Him in that glorified state forever and ever. I look forward to that day. Paul speaks in another location about how this mortal body will put on immortality, be transformed into the image of His Son. This is a process. This is a process. It's, and, and we praise God that it is something that God is, is working and bringing to completion. That's the concept of processes is expressed right there, that God will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a process there. It's not something that, well, He began a good work and there's nothing going on in between. And then when we are translated into glory, that's, that's when the work is completed and it's done. And that is when the work is completed. But the words that Paul used communicates the process. That God is slowly beginning to work within us and we each grow at at different rates and in different ways. But God is using the the circumstances of life. He uses His Word and He uses His Holy Spirit to begin to shape us and and conform us into the image of His Son. And this is a process over time. And Paul is thankful for the Philippians because he he sees evidence God has begun a good work in you. I see that. And I'm confident and am persuaded that that is, that is going to be brought to completion. So the remembrance of the Philippians brings him joy. So Paul is, is thankful because of their, their fellowship in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel, and he is thankful that God is at work sanctifying his people. Third, he says that he thanks his God because it is right. He thanks his God because it is right to do so. Verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me with grace, both in the imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, I am thankful for you because of your labor and for the gospel. I'm thankful because I see God at work. And now he says here that I am thankful because it's only right I feel this way about you. It's only right that I feel this way. I I hold you in my heart. There's a a closeness here. There's a, a deep affection for the Philippians on the part of the Apostle Paul. They occupy a special place in his heart. It's interesting that, that Paul, Paul doesn't speak this way about all the churches that he writes letters to. In fact, he has some pretty harsh words to say about some of the, some of the churches that he wrote to. To the letter to the Galatians, he wrote, Why have you so quickly abandoned the gospel? To the Corinthians, he writes, Yes, I'm, I'm thankful for you because you have these spiritual gifts manifesting yourself in your lives, but, but why are you dividing into factions? Even to the letters to the Colossians and to the Ephesians, it's, it's pretty much straight to a theological exposition of the things that God has done. But here, to the Philippians, there's a tenderness. 
There's an affection. He says, I hold you in my heart. You're, you occupy this special place within me. Why? Why is this the case? He, he explains. I, I hold you in my heart. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for, your, your translation may say since, or because you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It says they are partakers with him of grace. Now that word partakers, it's, it's closely related to that word that we had back in verse 5 where it spoke of their partnership or their fellowship in the gospel. The word here in verse 7 is very closely related to that. The same idea of of fellow workers working alongside one another. They they are laboring it together for the sake. They are are co-laborers in the midst of this. He says they are partakers with him of grace. Participants of grace. The idea of, of a common sharing in the same experiences with one another. You have that word grace there, of course, that is the, the favor of God. Paul uses grace often as kind of a, a catch-all term to refer to the work of God in salvation as kind of an overarching term, God's salvific work, the grace of God. The word itself means unmerited favor, and of course in the context of Scripture that, that favor is usually referring to the salvation of lost souls. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We deserve the wrath of God to be poured out upon us because of our rebellion against Him. We were enemies of God. We were hostile to Him, engaged in evil deeds. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's grace. It's grace unmerited favor, the favor of God, something that we don't deserve, and yet God gives us this favor. He gives us the grace of Jesus Christ to all who believe in what Christ accomplished on the cross. We did not deserve to have the King of the universe die in our place. That's exactly what we got. So we praise God for that. The grace of God. Paul may have in mind his salvation here, and many commentators do take it that way, but I think there may be a little more to this concept here. As as Paul says, you are partakers of me of grace, but notice he goes on to say, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So now we have to ask ourselves, okay, now let's think about this. Why? is Paul identifying his imprisonment and the confirmation and defense of the gospel as grace. As the grace of God, as the favor of God. Paul says that the grace that they have been received is is manifesting itself in Paul's imprisonment. It's manifesting itself in the, the common sharing and the defense and confirmation of the gospel that the, that the Philippians are having with Paul. So I want us to catch two things about this phrase here. It, 
to keep us from being confused about this as we think about this, how is it that imprisonment is an expression of God's grace? First, the Philippians were bearing, they were in a way bearing a burden with Paul. Paul says that they were partakers of, they were, they were fellowship, and they were, they, were, they were participants of grace with him in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of his defense of the gospel as he was going to stand a trial against the Roman authorities of those days, the Roman government. Paul says that they were participants in the midst of that. So they were kind of sharing the burden with Paul. They're participants within his imprisonment. So there is, that itself was a grace, was a gift from God. Paul was viewing that as favor from God, that there was this church that was so heavily invested in him that they were sharing that burden alongside of him. But also that that burden was also a manifestation of God's grace. Because later on in this chapter, Paul is going to identify and share about how his experience as being a prisoner, his experience in prison actually ended up being for the advancement of the gospel. So he considers that the hardship that he is enduring to be actually the favor of God because it is advancing the gospel of Christ. So Paul says that, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're sharing in this burden that I'm having to bear right now, this, this hardship that I'm enduring. You're, you're participants with me in the midst of this. But he also looks and says, you know, this, this hardship that I'm enduring, God's actually using that for His glory. He's using it for His advancement of the gospel. And you get to participate in that. You get to share in that with me together. So Paul is thankful for the Philippians and and he has great love and, and joy when he thinks of the Philippians and he finds this church to be an attractive church and he wraps this up by saying in verse 8 God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus Paul once again expresses his, his love for the church how he longs to see them he longs for them why? Why are they so attractive to him? Well, he shared why. He's grateful for them because they were invested in gospel advancement, even at great personal cost. There was evidence that God was working among them and he was convinced that that work would be completed and the, because they sought to share. They sought to share in the burdens that he was enduring. So he was thankful for them. He identified them as bringing joy and memory. All memories of them were bringing joy and warming his heart. You know, so often we hear in in our culture uh, the idea of being an attractional church, a church that is attractive. You know, so so often when we when we speak of that, it refers to kind of the stage presence. You know, the, having the music sound good and, and having good stage presence and sometimes the lights and the music and, and things are all a part of that. But those weren't the things 
that drove Paul to having that, that deep love for this Philippian church. Now, the things that, that drove Paul to loving this church so much and having such joy whenever he thought about that church, what made them so attractive to him was their activity in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel, sharing in his burden and his confidence that God was at work among them. And so that is what I pray about us. I pray those things for Pillar Fellowship, that God would work these things in us, that that God would make us an attractive church, not in a superficial way, but through our partnership in gospel activity, even if it costs us something personally. That people would be able to look at us and see, you know, God is at work in that church. I see that they are growing in holiness. I see that they are growing in their walk with Christ. And that we would be sharing in the burdens of others and being an encouragement to them. Paul is thankful for the Philippians. May one day down the line people reflect upon how they got to know us and say, I am thankful for that church. Let's pray. God, I do thank you so much for... Thank you for the Philippian church, Lord. How they were so active and engaged in in gospel ministry and how they sought to share in the ministry of Paul and sought to be an encouragement to him and where they sought to love him. And it is because of that that it brought great joy and, and it warmed Paul's heart whenever he thought of them. And it, it drove Paul to having this love and joy and prayer for the Philippians because of that. Lord, I do pray that all of us here today would be active in gospel ministry, Lord, that we would be participants in the gospel, partners in the gospel. Lord, the gospel is good news. The tremendously good news that that though we are sinners, though we do deserve your wrath poured out upon us, we can be saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ by believing in him. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be working in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. I thank you that we have these words from Paul that we can be confident that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And we know that that is a process and we we are all in process. Those of us who are are trusting in Christ, I pray that you would continue that process and that we would rest in the gospel of Christ knowing that, that we are insufficient in ourselves. But Lord, that we can rest knowing that you are the one who work in us, works in us, both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Lord, I do pray that you would give us the opportunity and the boldness to share in the burdens of others as the Philippians shared in the burdens of Paul as they sought to encourage him. I pray that you would work that in us as well. Thank you again for this text. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.